be Ruth chapter 4, the last chapter, and the last time we'll look at Ruth for the, the time being, and don't you just hate it when you really get into a good book and you really start to enjoy it and you're you're following along chapter after chapter after chapter and then finally you get to the last chapter and you get to the last page and then almost at the end it's like there's there's still something lacking you know you you almost you know wish you could could go back a little bit and 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 read read further or that there was more of the of the story and we've spent several weeks in the book of Ruth and and today we we come to the end of the story. Like many stories, and this is a classic story, it's a great love story about God's love for us ultimately, but in the micro, it's a, it's a story about a man named Boaz and a, a woman named Ruth and the beginning of their relationship, the beginning of their family and how that all fits into God's plan. Just two ordinary people living ordinary lives following God's plan and then the result is incredible and we'll see today that in God's plan and his providence this man and this woman coming together joins in the part of a lineage that leads to the great king David and ultimately to the greatest of kings the king of kings Jesus himself. And so let's read chapter four together. We'll pause a moment to pray and then we'll we'll get started. Chapter four begins. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down and he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy back by the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redemption, redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of testing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and to Malan. And Ruth the Moabite, the widow of 
Malan, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that we gather together in your name to study your word. And we thank you that we have the promise of the presence of your spirit and we have the truth of your word. And we ask that you would teach us what we need to know today. And we ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. The truth we're going to find at the end of our story today is that God has provided for all of us, all the world, a Redeemer in Jesus. So God has provided a Redeemer for us in Jesus. We've seen that as the main theme all through the different chapters. And we've seen the journey from Bethlehem to Moab and from Moab back to Bethlehem. We've seen Ruth going out from the home to the to the barley field and then meeting Boaz at the threshing floor. And now we come to chapter four and we find Boaz at the city gate. Boaz is there waiting for the kinsman redeemer. And the purpose there is to secure redemption for Ruth. And so we're going to divide this into two sections. We're going to look at the first half verses one through twelve and talk about redemption at the at the city gate. And then in verses 13 through the rest of the chapter, we're going to look at the blessing of a new family. And then we'll wrap up with a, a few final thoughts before we, we break for the, for the morning. So redemption at the city gate. So Boaz is there. He's sitting at the, the city gate. And really the question in these first six verses is who will redeem? And you'll see if you read, and we read through the text, it's, it's will you redeem, I will redeem, who's going to redeem is the big question. And they're gathered at the city gate, the center of, of city life, the gathering place, a place where people would meet for, for conversation, a place where people would meet to conduct business, or a place where they would meet to adjudicate justice. 
was very much the, the center of the life of the town was the city gate. And so Boaz is there and he's sitting and he's waiting for this kinsman. And it says, behold, or as it would happen, the kinsman passes by. It's the first, it's not the first of, of many of these situations that seem to be just happenstance, but above all of those things, it's God's hand working in that. And the kinsman walks by and just like we would greet someone, he says, turn aside friend and sit down or, Hey, come here and have a seat. It was an invitation for him to, to join in, in business, to sit down was to, to have a business transaction. And this word, word friend is really quite polite because if you look at it, it's a Hebrew um, word that just means Mr. So-and-so or Mr. Nobody, you know, Joe Blow, John Doe. It's Mr. No Name. But most translations translate it friend. And he says, you know, hey, Mr. Nobody, come and sit down. Let's conduct business. He invites and gathers around 10 elders to, to be a part of this, to be witnesses and whenever things happened at the city gate and, and elders gathered around just because people are interested like they are today, if a group of people gather, then there's also other people that gather because they want to know what's going on. And so there were other folks that gathered around. And so here they are. They're ready to conduct business. Boaz is ready to seek redemption. And they're there at the center of business in Bethlehem. And it unfolds in this story, this masterful plan that Boaz has developed with the Lord's wisdom. Now, he's not into anything illegal. It's not underhanded, but it, honestly, it's very clever the way he presents the, the case. He brings up the land first. He presents this property that's available to the, to the kinsman redeemer. He says, hey, Naomi is selling this parcel of land that belongs to Elimelech. And he says, why don't you buy it in the presence of these witnesses? And in verse 4, he says, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And then the kinsman just replies, I will redeem it. He looks and he sees there's this great opportunity to acquire this piece of land, this piece of property, to add it to his holdings, to increase his inheritance. And so he says, I'll redeem it. And so after the Redeemer acknowledges I'll take part of the first part of the plan, Boaz lays out the, the second part of the plan. You see, the, the Redeemer, Mr. Nobody, is probably thinking, well, Naomi's older. She's past childbearing. And this transaction, this redemption is only going to be land. But Boaz says in verse 5, the day you buy the land... Or the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite. And so he tells him, it's not just a land transaction, it's a land and a woman transaction. There's marriage involved, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate or carry on the name of the dead and his inheritance. In other words, he's saying, if you want the land, you have to marry Ruth as well to preserve this family name. And so do you see Boaz mentions the very favorable part first, and then he mentions the challenging, difficult part next. And he kind of puts the, the kinsman in, in, a, in a tight spot where he's forced his hand and through his shrewdness and his cunning, Boaz using legitimate legal means 
puts himself in a really good spot and puts the other guy in a really tight spot. It reminds me of the fact that, you know, oftentimes God gives us wisdom. God gives us intuition and things to do that are favorable. And, and we should listen and take advantage of those things. Not because it's, you know, we don't want to certainly do anything that's illegal, but when the Lord gives us wisdom and the ability to, to do things to, to prosper us or to help us, we should recognize that and utilize it. And so Boaz presents this case and the kinsman automatically is very reluctant. He doesn't want to risk losing part of his inheritance. And so he refuses to fulfill this responsibility. It's there in verse 6. The Redeemer says, I can't redeem it myself lest I impair my own inheritance. You see, what would happen is he would be out the money for purchasing the property. He would marry Ruth. And in the marriage to Ruth, the hopes would be that he would have a son. And when the son was born, the rights to the property would revert to the son. And so there would be a loss of money up front for buying the property. And then if a son were born, then he would lose the property. And it would almost be like he lost out twice. It's a reminder. It was a reminder to me, and I wrote down, you know, redemption is, is costly. It involves sacrifices. And Mr. Mr. Nobody is, is not willing to make this sacrifice, but Boaz, we've already seen, is more than willing. He's shown his kindness to Ruth. He's motivated by love, and he's ready to marry her. Now, just a, a side note. It's interesting in this account that, that generally in these cases, this, this situation would have been accompanied by Ruth. Ruth would have been there as the, the bride-to-be, and this marriage would have been proposed. And if the marriage was turned down, that was a very shameful situation for the Redeemer that turned down redemption. A lot of commentators think that's why he's Mr. Nobody. We don't know his name because his name wasn't even worth mentioning because he didn't fulfill his right. And in this situation, if the Redeemer were to pass and to say, I will not redeem, his shoe, his sandal was removed in a show of shame. And he was humiliated and rebuked there in the presence of all the witnesses of the town and in front of the woman. But we find in our story a much more joyful and gentle process. You see, Boaz is not interested in bringing shame. He's not interested in in causing this man any dishonor. He's interested in one thing, and that's redeeming Ruth, the woman by this time that he surely loves. And so in verses 7 through 10, we see this curious ceremony that involves this sandal. Now, verse 7 tells us that it was an old tradition that was used to validate a transaction. So if you and I exchanged land, then the person that was buying the land would receive the sandal from the one that was selling it. And that sounds odd, doesn't it? There's no contract. There's no signing. It goes back to an even older tradition where if you and I were to be involved in a land transaction and you purchase the land, then you would actually go and walk the land. Your feet would trample on the ground of the land that you would purchase. They kind of streamlined things a little bit and they just turned it into a sandal exchange. We've modernized things a little bit more now where we actually sign a contract. But in this, there's an exchange of sandals. The kinsman takes off his sandal, gives it to Boaz, symbolically giving up his right to the property, his right to redemption. 
And this sandal is followed up by this exchange, by an, an oath. Boaz reminds everyone present, all the elders, you're witnesses. I've bought this land that belonged to Elimelech, Killian and Malin. I've bought Ruth or redeemed Ruth to be my wife. And my purpose is to redeem the family name and the family land. And then he reminds him again, you are witnesses this day. And in verses 11 and 12, we see that this crowd that gathered were not only witnesses, but they were there to give a blessing. You see, their response there is that we are witnesses. These elders and these people, no written document was signed. Just a man gave his word. They traded sandals and then people were there to witness. So the man gave his word. He called to the witnesses and the witnesses responded, we are witnesses. I just thought just something I jotted down, you know, are, are we people of our, of our word? Do we live our life in a way that we do what we say or do we just make those empty promises? Because whether people around us are saying with their mouths, we are witnesses, people around us are witnessing what we do every day. And this man, Boaz, in uprightness said, you know, you're my witnesses. They responded, and we are, and then they continue on with a blessing. They bless Ruth, the, the wife-to-be, that she would have many children, many descendants, a large family like Rachel and, and Leah, who between them had 12 sons. They bless Boaz, a double blessing that he would act worthily and be renowned, is what it says in the in the ESV, the NIV helps us because it says, may you have standing and be famous. And so a blessing that Boaz would enjoy prosperity and notoriety. That he would gain a fortune and he would gain a name for himself. And then they bless the house as a whole, his family. May you have a large family like Perez. Now it's interesting that it, they mention the, the house of, of Perez um, calling on a large number of descendants because Perez was the result of relations between, remember, Judah and, and Tamar. And that woman Tamar is another one of the, the four ladies that appear in the genealogy of Jesus. And so they've asked for prosperity, notoriety, a large family. And we see in the last few verses of the book that this prayer, these blessings that they prayed begin to come to light. And so the second thing there that we're going to look at is the blessing of a new family. And we're going to see in that, we're going to see a wedding, a baby, and a genealogy. First of all, we have a wedding, and it wasn't like the royal wedding. We don't have, you know, live 24-hour coverage of the events leading up to it. We don't even have an account of what took place. We just simply have the phrase that tells us that Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Boaz declared his intentions and then he made good on them. They got married. Then the Lord gave Ruth conception. She became pregnant. We don't know for sure. It doesn't say, but by this time, you know, she had been, she was married to Malan for at least 10 years and did not have children. And for whatever reason in God's plan, there was not a child, but now the Lord gave her conception. Now, we don't have the details, but we know at least nine months pass and she bears a son. There's a baby, a baby boy. 
Ruth has a son and Naomi now has a grandson. And the focus here, interestingly, is on Naomi and not on the new mother. Imagine going to a a baby shower and the focus is all on the mother-in-law and not on the expectant mother or the new, you know, the new mother. And all the women of the neighborhood are gathered there. It's a, it's a time of, of celebration. And again, we have another prayer, a prayer of blessing and, and thanksgiving, giving credit, giving glory to God that he has provided a redeemer for Ruth. Look there at verse 14. It says, then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left us this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. We've seen Boaz as the redeemer. And now these ladies are are calling this child to be the redeemer. The one that would provide for the upholding of the family name. And carry on the, the lineage and to own the property. And then he says, may his name be renowned in Israel. And, and the language there is left a little bit uncertain where you could either say that this child's name would be renowned or they're giving more glory to the Lord, that the Lord's name would be renowned and known throughout Israel. And so this grandson, this little boy would not only just be a redeemer, but also listen to these great phrases, a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. If you're a grandparent, you probably can relate with these phrases that grandchildren bring life, bring nourishment, bring joy and excitement. And you could just imagine the joy that Naomi felt knowing that this was her grandson. And the text tells us Tenderly that Naomi took the child in her lap and became the, the nurse, became the, the nanny, the watcher over the child. But then there's some praise for, for Ruth. Ruth who had shown this loving kindness to Naomi that had taken her God to be her God. And says, you, you know, the Lord has provided you a daughter-in-law that is more to you than seven sons. Seven, the perfect number that... She's given you, the Lord has given you a daughter that is more valuable than seven sons. Just esteeming this woman, Ruth, for her faithfulness to God and to Naomi. And we see a 180 degree turn, a transformation. This woman, Naomi, who returned from Moab, bitter and empty, is now full and blessed And the ladies are there to share in her joy. It's a curious phrase and I'll leave it to you to work out. But it says, and the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. It's the only instance that I could find or or look around that in in the Bible where it ever says a community of ladies named Obed. A child, usually that was the the parents, but they name him Obed or servant. And we find out that he's the father of Jesse and ultimately the grandfather of David. Which leads us into verses 18 through 22, which leave us with a genealogy. 
you read any commentaries or books, there's a lot of debate of whether or not this was added later on. You know, is it just tacked on to the end? Um, I, I don't think so. Genealogies are extremely important in the Bible. We find them all through the Bible. But sometimes, if you're like me, you can kind of find those kind of boring um, to read. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so and then so-and-so and so-and-so. And it would be really easy if you just read so-and-so over and over again. But my goodness, some of those names are hard to pronounce. And sometimes you just maybe give them the first letter, you know, and, and Z begat D. And so you can, can move through it. And it's very easy to skip over the genealogies. But they're intentionally placed and each of them have a very specific purpose. And we can learn a lot from the genealogies. It, it shows us that God cares about people, individuals that have names. He, he cares about history. He cares about families. And, and then even in this genealogy and some of the others, it, it reminds us that God is even able to use imperfect people, people that are flawed, people that aren't necessarily so good. And so here at the end of Ruth, we have this purposeful list of names. There's 10 names mentioned and there's some gaps involved, mostly because the unimportant names to the, to the story are left out. But the first five um, are from the time between they came, the time when they arrived in the land of Egypt to the time when Moses led them out. And the second five are basically from the time when they arrived in Canaan and began the conquest until the time of the judges. And what it does is it places Obed, this new child, in a, in a beautiful context. It takes this gift of God and shows us how this gift fits in. How Ruth, who came an out, as an outsider and an enemy of Israel, all of a sudden finds faith in God. Shows love and kindness to Naomi. And now she's included in a lineage, a line that leads to David. It establishes a link to the great King David. And it shows how God works out his plans and and his purposes through ordinary people and ordinary events. How two people could be brought together by a really unlikely set of circumstances that lead ultimately to a king that is greater than King David. We don't have time this morning, but I encourage you, if you have opportunity, read Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17. It's Matthew's genealogy of, of Jesus. And in verse 16, toward the end of it, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. All of these individuals, all through history, from the beginning down to the Lord Jesus, reminding you and reminding me that God has a plan. And that God uses people that place their trust in him. But God also uses people in history that have no interest in him. Because it's all for his plan and his purposes. And he takes ordinary circumstances, things that we seem that seem inconsequential, and he uses them to achieve his extraordinary purposes. Why? Because it's not just ordinary people. It's God's supernatural hand working over us. It's things that often are unexplainable. It's things that, if we look back, we would say are undeniably good. 
And it's God's loving kindness, His grace, His mercy, and His redemption. And all for His glory. That's why Ruth is this romance of redemption. And as we we close this morning, I just want to leave you with a few final thoughts. There's four of them. Just reminders, really, it's things we've looked at all through these several weeks. First of all, God providentially rules over all things. It's hard for our minds to grasp that, that God is so infinite and so much greater than we are that we see this realm where we think we where we do have human choices and we can make our own decisions, but yet God's overwhelming, overarching plan is above that, that God can work even in the midst of our poor decision-making and our weak judgment. And as one person wrote, you know, a Moabite girl gleaning grain many miles from home, a caring mother-in-law, a loving kinsman, a nighttime conversation in a threshing room. The willingness of a wealthy farmer to go beyond the requirements of the law in his care for the needy. That in the midst of the dark times around the judges, God was still carrying out his plan and he was preserving his people. Providence working above what we can even see and understand. The second thing that we can be reminded of is that God shows his mercy to us even though we don't deserve it. God shows loving kindness to us even though we don't deserve it. The other side of that is it's nothing we could ever earn anyway. And if we can't earn it, then we can't lose it. God shows mercy toward us even though we don't deserve it, even, I mean, we couldn't earn it, but he shows it toward us. And those mercies are renewed every day. And you see that all through the book. Tied to that, linked to that is the third thing. God chooses to be personally involved in our lives. That ought to blow our minds on a daily basis. That God chooses to be involved in Our lives on a regular basis. We're just a blip, a vapor, as Ecclesiastes says, just a small moment in time. But the God who is eternal and created everything chooses to be personally involved in our lives. To show his love to us. To invite us to go on mission with him. To invite us to be a part of his plan for his purposes. And the God who called Ruth out of Moab is the same God who calls us today in Christ. From outsider to insider. Because ultimately the fourth thing, God has provided a redeemer for us in Jesus. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, points to the great redeemer, the Lord Jesus And as another man wrote, if a mere man like Boaz, a creature of God, could act like this and show a power to redeem an outcast and bring her into fellowship, then surely God is compassionate to all the Ruths. And God himself must be a God of redemption with the desire and the power to redeem all outcasts 
into fellowship with himself. We're all outcasts. And God chooses, desires, wants to draw us into fellowship with himself. It's the romance of redemption. Outsider to insider. Not a people to my people. No hope to hope. Lost to loved. Will you pray with me? Father, in your great plan for all things, you work above what we can see and what we can understand with a plan and a purpose to seek and save those that are lost, to restore what has been taken to mend what has been broken and to redeem what seems um, unredeemable. We pause and we bow ourselves before you just thanking you for this great love that you show through four chapters in a tiny book in the Old Testament through the story of of two women, Naomi and Ruth, of a worthy man named Boaz that ultimately points to the one greater than Boaz, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you on this day, the 17th of June in 2018, a time when we celebrate Father's and Father's Day That we can appeal to you, the good, good father. And not just the good, good father, but the best father, the eternal father, the loving father. And Lord, much like the prodigal son, that as we turn toward you, you run to meet us. And when you hold us in your arms, we find the warmth and the love of your Affection, we find the joy of your comfort, we find the safety and the rest. And Lord, we hide ourselves under your wings. What a wonderful thing to say, what a wonderful thing to rejoice in, to say, just like the old sea captain, I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Thank you for your redemption through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.